Okay, so as we get kicked off on today's 12 Rants of Christmas, guys, just hear me out for a second. Like so many lost lads in their early 20s, around the mid-noughties, I became a little bit obsessed by the New York Times best-selling book, The Game by Neil Strauss. If you haven't heard of it, you've almost certainly heard of some of the consequences of its popularity. The book sees New York Times and Rolling Stone journalist Strauss uncover a community of lonely men set on turning around the fortunes of their love lives. Referring to themselves as pickup artists, they gathered in online communities and in person at boot camp events to share tips and secrets that saw many of them dramatically improve, if not their overall soundness as a person, then at least the number of women that they slept with. As you can probably imagine, the book was both hugely popular and also caused an absolute shitstorm at the same time. MTV picked up a reality show to capitalize on its popularity, hosted by one pickup artist called Mystery, who featured in Strauss's book, while Sony secured the film rights, which ended up uh, being killed off in development hell. This was largely due to the fact that the pickup artist community itself warped and grew problematic in not a long space of time, to the point that it's now associated with absolute dickheads like Andrew Tate. For his part, Strauss, who I interviewed in 2009 for an old radio show and kept in touch with for a while afterwards for the record, so just stating uh, the potential bias there. Uh, he later married and wrote a follow-up book called The Truth, which focused uh, more on relationships and inner happiness. I was originally drawn to the book having recently given up alcohol for a period and then realized that I'd never actually been able to meet women beforehand without that crutch. So it wasn't as if I was one of the more desperate situations faced by any of its readers and as such I was kind of able to pick and choose aspects of the content that worked for me and then ignore aspects that I didn't like. Some of the stuff though was absolutely cringeworthy and it's probably the stuff that you've heard the most about not to mention the term pickup artist itself really come on they also called women hbs and then like defined them by like what rating they gave them out of 10 so a girl would be like an hb by the way stood for hot babe very cool guys and they'd call them like hb8 and so on it was really really bad in some parts and then you've got tips like negging which is basically a backhanded compliment designed to lower a woman's self-esteem a little bit so she'd be more receptive to being approached by men which i don't really know how even the people advising that said that out loud without realizing how awful it sounded there was also a super creepy twist on the valid therapeutic process of neuro-linguistic neuro programming, aka NLP. I'm going to just say NLP if I need to say it from now on, because obviously I have issues with the, the full title, uh, which essentially uses language to essentially try and hypnotize women into being attracted to you, which just seems a bit too consent-averse for my liking. One aspect which really upset people, but I feel was somewhat reactive and misunderstood, was the idea of routines that guys could do that would make women attracted to them. What people were upset about, and look, I get it, is that on the face of it, it sounds like people are reading from a script rather than being themselves to try trick others into sleeping with them. But that's actually not what it is. I spoke previously in this series in the networking podcast about how one aspect of my job is training people how to sell, be it to customers or clients or to sell themselves in interviews or selling ideas in pitch meetings. I don't believe in giving someone a script to sell as doing discovery and building rapport is kind of crucial and scripts take away the naturalness from that. But you can give someone a framework to work off and some sample ways of pitching that get amazing results. 
The reason this works is because people are often blind to their own weaknesses. So for example, they may have low resilience if a customer they're selling to throws them a curveball and not be able to objection handle their query because they don't have a solution. Then they start to develop damaging beliefs to kind of protect themselves and their confidence. Like nobody likes this product or I'm just not very good at this. And these beliefs are contradicted easily by the evidence that other people are are successful doing the exact same thing but they just don't want to hear it giving them a framework allows them not only to manage their own resilience but you can even pre-objection handle by learning what the customer may say and then baking that into your initial pitch so the customer doesn't even have an objection to say when it comes time to it you're, you're still telling the truth. You're still saying the same things and selling the same products or services. And crucially, as there's no script, you're still building natural rapport yourself with your customer or client, but the results you're getting are the complete opposite of what you got before. Essentially, the framework you give people when you teach them to sell is how to focus on the positives rather than the negatives, how to find what someone wants and then explain how what you're selling gives that to them, how to establish trust, credibility and transparency in what you say, and how to navigate any mild speed bumps you may encounter smoothly along the way. You're not telling people to lie, you're not telling people to trick to get a sale, you're just telling them how to frame what it is positively. And the same logic applies to the routines because like people who aren't good initially at sales and even more so here because rejection feels so personal when the product or service the person you're talking to is declining uh, is essentially you as a fundamental person. Uh, lads who struggle with women can develop these harmful beliefs that actually make everyone involved's life worse and we hear this stuff all the time how certain types of women are stuck up how you have to be a prick to get ahead with women and so on and so forth and it goes on and on and on unfortunately despite there being a sound logic we can all identify with and agree with on some level here the wrong lessons ended up being learned you see what the routines are essentially trying to teach you is self-esteem it's believing that slightly reframing yourself in a positive light will show others that you're worthy of their love and attraction which therefore helps you yourself believe in that and then have a transformative impact on your overall confidence and perception of life and that's great right again we can all kind of get on board with that but what pickup artists didn't fully grasp is that you can't teach self-esteem through a few routines, books, and workshops. And ask anyone in the psychotherapy or psychological field, and they'll tell you that while quick fixes can give a temporary boost, generally that's a process where you need to do the hard work. You need to go back to the root causes that cause these problems, maybe starting a childhood. You need to learn new techniques, often with a trained professional. Horny lads weren't having any of that. So sure enough, whether that was the idea or not, they just saw the routines and it became what everyone feared it would. It was lads just trying to say certain words in an effort to get the ride. And when that became clear, it was the beginning of the end for pickup artists as they quickly found a kinship with the incel community that allowed charismatic creeps like Tate to rise in influence. What really struck a chord with me with the book though, and a lot of other lads I know who read it, was how early into it Strauss discussed feeling like he kind of missed an entire phase of his life when he, where he learned to talk to the opposite sex. And the end result was him just kind of being left uh, to assume that he'd forever end up alone as, although given the popularity of the book, that clearly wasn't the case. It did seem at the time like the entire planet had taken that class and he just missed it and would never know how to get it. That resonated with me so deeply 
for reasons that I think make a lot of sense. So to kind of bring you into my own life a little bit, I was raised as a child as a, by a single mother. Due to some wild circumstances, I may one day write a book or a screenplay about my birth father didn't actually know I existed until I was two years of age. And by that stage, he was now living in America with a family of his own. I'm fortunate in that I have someone I consider and call my dad who stepped up after marrying my mother at seven years of age. But now, well, he, I was seven. He didn't marry her at seven. That, that'd be really weird. Um, but anyway, now I'm of the age he was when he took over. And I totally see how that's a very reactive situation. And while he definitely did try his best and got a lot right, there were just some aspects of life that I never got to learn about. And that was not because he didn't want to try to teach me. It's more a case of neither of us knowing they were even questions that needed to be asked. Fortunately now, I'm a grown-ass man. So I went out there and asked a lot of questions myself. I learned on the fly and I became a fairly competent adult i say fairly because i am at most things but not everything for example i'm really bad when it comes to diy if my boiler breaks i'm literally just calling a man to fix it and i think that's just gonna be the way it is until the day that i die but like strauss there was a time when i felt lost alone and like this was just going to be my lot and that was nobody's fault but it happened and i hate to think that there are other people out there going through the same today so what I want to cover on today's 12 Rants of Christmas, for the record, it's not me going to give you advice on how to ride women. No, we will touch on kind of romance and sex and stuff like that as well as we go out. But like, I'm not going to tell you how to ride women because lads, I'm 36, I'm unmarried. You don't want my help here, trust me. It's not going to get you ahead in any way. But I do want to rattle off some pro tips from my own observations and the experiences of talking to either guy or girlfriends have said are lessons that many guys just don't seem to have learned. We'll go with five today because I couldn't think of more and this is a podcast, not an audiobook, so we'll try to keep it a reasonable length. Pro tip number one, wash everything. So when you have a shower, generally standing under the water for a set period of time doesn't actually make you clean. And yes, people notice when you don't actually wash and you just stand underwater. You need to put the work in here, lads. I'm gonna get a bit graphic now, but only because some of you might need to hear it. If you're a little bit squeamish to this kind of stuff, feel free to skip ahead, uh, there's no problem, okay? But let's get right to it. First off, you need to wash your arse every day. No messing about here, lads. It doesn't take that long. And for the more insecure you out there, no, it doesn't make you gay, even if you enjoy it. Wash your feet. Go between your toes, like get in there, like actually give yourself a little fucking foot massage all, all around. It's okay to have somewhat like smelly feet by the end of a long day if you've been really active. But if it's a recurrent problem and it's actually noticeable to others, you can even get creams and special soaps for it as well as for your shoes and runners as well. So wash your feet, lads. You gotta get in there. As far as your hair goes, you don't need to actually wash that every day, particularly if you style it. Washing daily is actually going to end up damaging it in the long run. So I'd say wash your hair twice, three times max per week and your style will start to keep better. Also, if you have hair that is in any way long or just not a buzz cut, invest in a hairdryer and use that after you, whenever you wash, but before you put on gel. And that'll give you a bit of volume to play with as well. If you've got a beard, 
you need to wash that using shampoo as if it's the hair on top of your head unless you're stubbly and shaved deliberately short your beard should feel soft and like hair again i'm more stubbly so again it's it's, it's a bit but even then it should feel soft it should be nice for people to run their fingers through and not crusty and rough and if it's the latter you can invest in some beard oil as well Again, a bit graphic, but I'm just going to say it. Wash your dick, lads. Wash your dick. Uh, particularly, again, get in there. Get under the foreskin. And yes, every day we're talking. Girls notice this, lads. And it will greatly impact the frequency you get blowjobs if you don't. And lastly for now, outside the shower, wash your face every day. Get a good face wash. They're not super expensive. Invest in a few face cloths. Wash only using a face cloth with hot water to open the pores initially and then use the face wash so it'll actually uh, have an impact. And then you close your pores afterwards by washing it off with cold water. It'll keep pimples at bay from someone who regularly gets them myself if I don't stay on top of things. And last one, sorry, I know I said it was the last one there, but one more thing, use moisturizer every day too. You can get decent stuff that's not expensive and it'll keep you looking as young as possible. It'll keep wrinkles away for as long as possible and just give you an overall fresher look. Pro tip number two, get to know your barber. Haircuts can be a pain, I know. They're an absolute drain on time. Uh, then, then there's the case of how often you should go. I've pretty short hair, so I try to keep it to two, three weeks max. Uh, if you're an overthinker like me, it's an absolute shit show as you'll spend your entire time in the chair overanalyzing every move you make and just how bad you are at getting your hair cut. And then there's the whole stress of what haircut should I get? Loads of people, and women are included in this too, even though it's less taboo for them to discuss openly, don't understand that your face and your body have certain shapes that affects the style of your clothes you should wear or the types of haircuts you can and can't have. Also, everyone's hair grows slightly differently. For example, if I let mine grow long enough, it becomes absolutely unmanageable at the back. Uh, <laughs> so I need to keep, sorry, if you're not watching the video, I just was giving guys a, a look at the back of my head there. So what I need to do is I need to keep on top of it or my hair will stick up and look like a five-year-old who woke up late on his first day of school. It's absolutely, it's very bad. So yeah, you just, you just got to acknowledge that. And there's nothing you can do. You just got to kind of work with what you've got. There's a really simple way around all of this that makes all of these issues go away overnight. Find a good barber who likes their job and build a relationship with them. You don't have to actually know all this stuff. That's literally their job. If you don't know what you want, just go in and ask them what you think. Just go, look, I feel like getting something new. I'm not sure what would actually suit me, though. Have you any ideas? Is there any trends or anything like that that you think would actually suit me? And that's why I specify finding someone who likes their job. As decent barbers who aren't just punching the clock will actually love to get a bit creative and honest with you and use you as a guinea pig to, pig to try any ideas that they have. If you find one barber in particular who gets it, you can ask them outright to take appointments. I'm lucky in the barbers that I use and that the lads, all of the lads there are good and of the same kind of quality. But again, there are some places that I've been to where you're kind of praying that the one person that you really like is available at the same time. And that's not often the case. So literally just ask them. It's pretty fucking normal. You're not asking them on a date. It's a routine question they get and it's a compliment to them as well. Plus the ones who are engaged and give you attention to detail are generally also the senior staff wherever they work. So they're kind of used to it. They probably have their regulars to come in. And even if the barbers say it's walk-in only, often they'll find a way to accommodate regulars as they keep the lights on in most places. 
if you see a haircut on a celebrity for example that you think will suit you don't be afraid to just bring a picture of them on your phone and ask if it's something that's possible they'll talk you through your options and go from there but that is like not a thing you just see on tv that's a thing people do you're okay to do that Another thing to remember, though, is not to be too loyal either. If you feel like you're hitting a wall with what you want to do, if you want to kind of get a bit more ambitious, don't be afraid to spend a bit more and move around to find your place. I think you'll be happier you did in the long run. Three, let's get in to talking to women and some stuff there. Again, I'm not going to teach you how to fall in love or the game or anything like that, but there's a few pro tips that I hear all the time and I see and I've experienced. One of them is being nice or doing things for women doesn't make them obligated to be attracted to you. An old next door neighbor of mine, he was such an absolute sweetheart. If it was bin day and he saw that mine weren't left out early in the morning, he'd grab them for me and make sure the bins got taken out. Even though usually I would be planning to get them on time, I'd come out while I'm getting ready for work, probably rushing a little bit and I'd see them already waiting out there. It was great. If he was cutting his front grass and saw mine needed a uh, look over, he'd give it a quick once over and say no more. What an absolute legend. I loved it. I really appreciated him. I would always kind of try return the favor if I ever saw either of those things. I'd pick him up gifts or try, uh, you know, help him out in any way that I thought I could. One thing I didn't want to do, though, was fuck him. Okay? And look, I understand that acts of service is a legitimate love language. But it's one that you generally use when you're already dating someone. The amount of lads I've known who use their quote-unquote niceness as an excuse for their lack of success in love is ridiculous. And look, there's a lot to unpack here. First off, if you say you're nice, you're not nice. You're being nice deliberately to someone because you've actually got an agenda and you're telling on yourself by saying, but I'm so nice. And they almost definitely realize that and don't trust you as a result. Secondly, I could do a whole podcast on this, but the word nice is never used as a compliment. It's always, always a buffer for an incoming negative. Like you never hear the phrase, nice and you hear the phrase nice but as in they're so nice but i'm just not into them that way and so on and when you drill into this so-called niceness you typically don't have to dig too far to find the not niceness in there because generally there's an absolute bang of sexual entitlement behind it like if someone is nice to a girl and then sees she's going out with someone else you'll usually see them get really really fucking pissy and then you'll see the dickhead come out that was hiding behind the niceness all along my experience is in talking to people who say this is generally their niceness is kind of a cover up for a lack of confidence in themselves so they feel they need to overcompensate with general kindness and supplication but here's the thing nobody wants to fuck you because you're nice people want to fuck you because you're you and if you're not you they feel you're afraid to be you and well, if this part of the show is hitting home hard, then the results you're getting is probably starting to make a lot of sense. And this is why people say, just be yourself. And that phrase winds lads up because it feels like an instruction. It feels like, well, I don't know how to do that. How should I be myself, sir? It's like, no, that's not an instruction. It's someone telling you they know you're not being yourself. So stop doing that I, again. It doesn't make them obligated to fancy you, so stop it. It's not going to work. It's a bad plan. Find a new plan. And the easy part is, just be yourself. Four, don't be afraid to communicate about everything. If you take one thing away from this pod, it should be, just because you're a man doesn't mean you shouldn't talk and be more open. 
the reason I need to do this podcast is because often guys will live their entire lives in misery just for the sake of not having to ask someone a question or Google one potentially embarrassing situation. Communication is the secret sauce of life, but particularly when it comes to relationships and even texting someone in the early days. And let's start with the big one, consent. It sounds silly to say that you should ask for consent because it's such a known concept these days, but I've actually had friends who thought it was more a kind of figure of speech or an implication. And for what it's worth, I don't think any of these people have done anything horrible beyond just being a bit uneducated on all of this. They said when they kind of drilled into this that they'd be nervous asking for consent directly in case it made things really awkward. And yes, When they said that, I did answer that it would be way more awkward to later get accused of not having consent. But seriously, lads, I cannot say this enough. Just ask. You don't have to be an absolute goober while you're doing it. Like, you don't have to be like, may I have thou consent, milady, or get permission slips or anything like that. You can just say, do you want to have sex? Nobody will think you're weird. Nobody will talk about you in a bad way. And even if they do, the people that they'll talk to you about will think they're the weirdo because you're just doing what you should be doing. At worst, the worst case scenario here is that they'll say you bundled it a little bit and it was cute and they'll probably still like you more. And that goes for all forms of communication. I had a conversation with someone recently where we spoke about how dumb it is that people have a stigma around talking through their sexual preferences with their partner or may be afraid to tell them that they don't like something. Yet, if someone got us the wrong order of coffee, especially a partner, we'd just say it. We'd be like, why'd you get me that? I actually like this cup of coffee instead. And this part doesn't just apply to lads, but we've got an almost endemic stigma around sex that means we so often just expect our partners to know know what we like and if they don't we judge them or crucify them to our mates if they ever get it wrong like why are we comfortable talking and this is probably more based on women here but because guys i don't know if we talk as in detail as maybe women would but why are we comfortable talking to our friends about these things but not our partners who actually need to know it and who through knowing this information would make our life much better the more you communicate the more you learn The more you learn, the more you empathize. The more you empathize, the more you care. The more you care, the more you learn to get things right the first time around. And if you do all of those things, the happier you are. It's simple. The flip side of that is not communicating and getting less of all of the above, but avoiding being embarrassed, which you won't be if you're in an open and honest environment where you've built up empathy to and from the other person, or avoid being in difficult conversations, which actually aren't that difficult once you realize that the end result of them is living in a better situation. Talk, talk, talk. I cannot say this enough. Talk about anything, talk about everything. Be respectful and not judgmental when you do so, and you'll reap the benefits. Or on the flip side of that, you can be the person who doesn't ask for consent and their partner tells their friends is bad in bed, but won't tell them. Finally, if we're in for a penny, Let's go in for a pound. It is that common. It does happen to every guy. And it's not a big deal. And far be it from me to contradict the words of the immortal Rachel Green. But let's talk about performance issues next, lads.
I mean, if we're going to talk about things that lads are never taught about because it might be seen as taboo, why not go the full way right? This is not only taboo for parents to teach their children about or schools to talk about uh, with kids as they're giving them sex educations. It's taboo for partners to talk about amongst themselves, even if they both are experiencing it and know the issues there. It's taboo to bring up down the pub or speak to anyone ever. You just do not talk about this subject even in 2024. A large part of this is because the world behaves like a fucking child when it comes to it. Seriously, a few years back, Lily Allen had a song that pretty much said, Yeah, my boyfriend's actually deadly. He's the best. He's so good to me. But ah, his dick doesn't work, loser. <laughs> Every sitcom with a sexual element will at one stage have a joke about one of the guys not performing. It's pretty much a running joke that the world has decided it's okay to laugh about because we can't see the damage. Mainly because anyone who suffers from it is too fucking embarrassed to say something and to teach people hey this is fucking wrong the truth is as well that makes this so awful like this is the kind of thing that when we've all grown up a bit and we're all a bit mature i could speak about this openly like we're able to speak about things today that were once considered taboo this is going to be featured on documentaries and make us all mortified about how scummy these songs and these jokes on tv and everything else was like old ads telling women here's how you can keep your man happy the thing that makes this so bad though is that often these issues are either one medical or two probably even worse psychological so basically what we do when we joke about this is say ah, let's laugh at the guy suffering a medical condition or dealing with, dealing with a trauma loser like it's actually fucking mental what how people talk about this I'm going to be honest here as well. I'm going to like go out and, and speak openly here myself. For me, a couple of years back, I went through some stuff due to low testosterone, partly brought out by COVID causing me, like the rest of the planet, to put on a couple of stone because of comfort eating, and partly because although it's not really spoken about and I had to do a lot of research myself around it, it's a thing that happens to most, if not all men at some stage, just your age kind of varies and you've no real control over that. Of course, I didn't know all of this at first because it's so taboo and stigmatized, so we're not allowed to admit any issues, doubts, or concerns to anyone ever. So I just had to kind of sit there and, for the first time in my life, become afraid of having sex. I stopped dating, my confidence dropped, when it came to that, my confidence dropped to near nothing, and my libido pretty much evaporated overnight. And I started to kind of rationalize and make myself okay with the idea of dying alone. Eventually, I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. And I said, fuck it. And I just saw a doctor. And guess what? It, it, it was grand. It was actually fine. He, he did my bloods. He gave me some tips. He gave me a prescription. And he sent me on my way. And that's it. That's the end of the story. That's it. It's fine. Like, that's grand. Like, I'm fine now. Like, it was seriously, the, like, I spent so long worrying about this. And then it was just one doctor's appointment. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, that's fixed. Like, lads, it's not a big deal. If you're going through it, speak to your doctor ASAP and live your life. Don't mind Lily Allen. She's talking absolute bollocks. And guys, that's all you need to know. A lesson in life in however long this podcast took. To recap, just before we wrap up, wash everything, even your arse. Become bestos with the barber. Stop trying to be nice. Ask for consent. And lastly, ignore Lily Allen unless you need to ask her for consent or she says your arse is smelly. Back tomorrow, guys, on the 12 Rants of Christmas.